Hey, hey, everybody. If you're listening to this, you are listening to the first free hour of this episode of The Shift with Doug McKinty. If you like what you're hearing, please consider subscribing to the show in order to access the full feature-length versions of the podcast, as well as have access to the members' forum, where we discuss potential topics and interviews and dive deep into the overall concept of The Shift. For only six bucks a month, not only do you get the full-length episodes, but also an opportunity to co-create with me, your host, Doug McKinty, the future of the show. Go to www.theshiftnow.com or patreon.com backslash the shift and sign up today in order to help make the shift possible. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Good morning, noon, or night, wherever and whenever you are listening, you are listening to The Shift. I'm your host. My name is Doug McKenty. This episode was recorded on December 12th, 2021. Today, I'm happy to introduce a legend in the scene. Going by the pseudonym Captain Wardrobe, this artist and blogger has been active in exposing the colonizing tactics and social engineering of the predator class for over two decades. Though lesser known than some, the tireless efforts of El Capitan behind the scenes have influenced many well-known independent journalists and content creators dedicated to penetrating the matrix of mass propaganda in order to provide a worldview that accurately depicts the mechanizations of the imperial forces lurking behind the curtain of global control. Captain Wardrobe's unique blend of art and logic stands out from the bulk of those reporting from outside the left-right paradigm. His blog includes not only articles clearly delineating the web of corporate and government interests engaging in social engineering of the masses, but decades' worth of poetry and music creating a holistic experience that opens the mind to the possibilities of a reality outside the corporate government narrative. He invites the purveyors of his work not only to accept the reality of the world as it is, but to imagine the world that could be should humanity choose to liberate itself from the colonizing forces currently imposing their grip on the minds of the bulk of humankind. Stay tuned for this conversation that discusses the old days of conspiracy thinking, the function of art as a path forward, and provides a general overview of just how the capitalist class has taken control of much of the information flow that influences the thinking of the vast majority. Captain Wardrobe's unique, if eccentric, approach provides a refreshing reprieve from the doom and gloom often associated with conspiracy thinking. His blend of art and humor provide both an informative and uplifting perspective that exposes the dark underbelly of the controlling class, while providing a path forward based on creativity and individual autonomy. His approach seeks to create a worldview that both unifies the masses while concomitantly promoting the diversity created through individual self-expression, and authentic creativity. Find out more about the work of Captain Wardrobe at www.declarepeace.org.uk forward slash captain. As always, you can find out more about The Shift, sign up for the newsletter, find hours of free content, or subscribe for feature-length versions of the show at www.theshiftnow.com. If you like what you're hearing, please like, subscribe, and share this interview throughout your social media networks. We rely on listeners like you for distribution of this alternative information. You can also look up The Shift with Doug McKinty on YouTube, Rockfin, Odyssey, and all your favorite podcast distribution sites. Go to Doug McKinty on Facebook or follow at McKinty on Twitter to stay up to date on everything produced from Doug McKinty Studios. I want to give a big welcome to today's guest, Captain Wardrobe, and a big thanks to you for helping to make The Shift. 
Hey, everybody, and welcome to this, the 102nd episode of The Shift. I'm your host, Doug McKenty. Today, I am happy to announce that my guest is the El Capitan of Conspiracy Theory himself, uh, Captain Wardrobe. Uh, so I want to welcome him to the show. We've been uh, actually in contact probably for a little bit over a year now, uh, kind of talking behind the scenes, and uh, he has been doing this for a very, very long time. So I'm excited to get a little bit of information about his history and what it's been like. He's uh, actually more active. For those of you who may not know who he is, he's very active behind the scenes with a lot of us content creators, and he's been doing it again for such a long time. Uh, and it's always nice to get uh, the wisdom and the knowledge from people that have been uh, out there trying to spread the word for uh, for quite a while. So looking forward to this conversation. And uh, El Capitan, uh, I just want to ask, uh, can you give us a little bit of a history about yourself and, and uh, how you got into doing all this kind of work? What? <laughs> Hi. How's it going? Doing good. Uh, well, good they to told me to I had to wear a mask. So right. I, was, <laughs> I just thought I put the, the best mask I had on. It's really thick. And all the Coroni dudes, the banditos, can't get in there. And yeah, they me. can't get through that. That's like better than an N95, I think. I think it's a lot better. The glass. I'm yeah. out of breath. Yeah. I'm out of breath doing that. <laughs> That's how unfit I am. That's unbelievable. How are you, mate? All right. Yep, doing good. Doing good. Great to have you on the show. I mean, we've been, uh, like I said, we've been talking for some time and we're always kind of catching up with each other and uh, trying to figure out what the heck is really going on in the world. Um, and just trying to decode, decode right. the madness, the, <laughs> the collective psychosis that is happening right now, you know. LSD in the water? <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. <laughs> they mix it with the fluoride. <laughs> well, so that we're was finally. A nice intro. Thank we're... you for the intro. Absolutely. Yeah, we're finally sitting down and, and doing a more formal interview here. Uh, and I'm looking forward to uh, my audience getting to know you better. Um, yeah, why don't you just start with a little bit of your history then? Because I know you've been doing this for such a long time. And when I interview people who, um, you know, who have such a long history, I mean, I think you've had your website for at 10, 15 years, maybe 20 years now. Like you really got started yeah. early on in the Internet. Yeah. So, yeah, why don't you just explain, uh, explain how long you've been doing it and <laughs> what it's been like and what it was like 20 years ago. I mean, as as. Many Whoa. of us still feel isolated, but it must have been crazy in, in the year 2000. <laughs> uh, oh, yes. Can we, well, it'd be nice to make it go all, all black and white and shimmer back, wouldn't it? Right. <laughs> but we're going to go back in time, everybody. Um, I started out um, when the internet, so I started getting onto the internet about 1997. And I, I'm a musician. So what uh, some of the stuff I did, I 
I got myself a little computer and I got myself a keyboard and stuff and I started recording myself and I've always been recording but once the computer got involved it was brilliant you know and I started like doing multi tracks it was brilliant stuff but then 9-11 happened and it was really weird because I'd just been to uh, San Diego and I'd walked around San Diego and seen a massive nuclear submarine base and thought what are twin towers <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like you know <laughs> And I'm like, you know, so I got back and uh, we were just sitting in front of the telly, me and my ex-wife, Carmen, uh, who's a firefighter. And uh, her knowledge, actually sitting with her, watching this all unfold at eight o'clock in the morning, I don't know what time in the morning it was, it was just ridiculous. Um, we were sitting there and she was sort of going, hmm, that doesn't look right. <laughs> yeah, right. And so it was, it was her fault that I was <laughs> like this. No, it wasn't really. I was always a bit of a, yeah, I always question things. Uh, I mean, we can go way back to uh, the first Gulf War. I started, I mean, there was a program on Newsnight called The Neocons, and I watched that, and that, that shit me up. I was really, really scared. I was like, don't let these nutsos in. And what happened? <laughs> it happened. I know, right? That was one of Jeremy Paxman's last good things I think he did on the BBC, by the way. Because uh, Jeremy Paxman wrote a book, I think he co-authored a book about bioweaponry uh, with somebody, and actually sourced uh, David Kelly. That was David Kelly. Many years ago, and people like that, Scott Ritter. So anyway, I've just uh, gone way off on a tangent. But anyway, 9-11 happened, and I really set off. I was in, majorly influenced by people like Alex Jones and David Icke, really. I'd read David Icke's book in 1990 when I was at art school, and I read it alongside a book called Supernature by Lyle Watson, which became quite a cult classic with kind of, you know, your new age and your, 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 your druggy types, you know. Mm. And it's all about... Um, like a Russian kid, age six, turned a tennis ball inside out with mine. He rolled it across the floor and it would bounce on the wall, roll back again, and it would be completely inside out. And those sort of stories were all through the book. It's kind of weird and wacky, sigh, you know, interesting stuff, you know. Right. What's going on? Ooh, you know. So, and, and anyway, 9-11 uh, sort of woke me up to the fact that, uh, well, it just didn't look right from day one. And I've always been, boy, after, after reading a bit of it, I was like, yeah, okay, here we go. This is it. Strap yourself in, kids. And uh, I started doing this website on like a, you know, you get those, the early website uh, hosting places. So I had uh, Matters of Fish and I had Blue Yonder. And, and it was all between these two, like a tiny little site. And I started building it and building it and rapidly running out of space. And a friend of mine, well, somebody got in contact with me who became a friend called Prajna Pranab uh, from declarepeace.org. And he's a guy who runs, he runs like, um, he's very, very into self-sufficiency. And he, now, he lives in Portugal, but he was living in Portugal, running uh, like a kibbutzi kind of thing for his mates. Uh, like self-sufficient, his own electricity, his own power, you know, everything. Um, brilliant guy. But he, he basically gave me this web space, right? And I'm still using it. This was in 1990, uh, 2001. And declared peace. He just went, just, you know, use it. And I put all my albums up there, all my artwork. The, the site is built and built and built through it. I, I, I don't even know how much space I'm taking up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's quite crazy. I mean, it, it, originally I wanted to, like, fill the internet up. <laughs> so let's just fill it up. Let's just fill it up. Absolutely. So much information out there and so much that you cover on the website. And just to let people know that it's uh, declarepeace.org.uk. Uh, yeah, so they can go check it out. Slash, so it'd be forward slash um, captain as well, I think. 
So okay. yeah, if you, if you just put the declare piece, it goes to Praj's front page. And uh, if you add a captain, it'll go to mine. Then if you add a murdering, it'll go to the murdering. But the, <laughs> the main page is the captain. So declarepeace.org.uk forward slash captain. That's the one. So yeah, I started looking into what was going on with 9-11. But as soon as, I mean, it wasn't long uh, after 9-11 that, of course, Afghanistan and Iraq. And Afghanistan was kind of brewing anyway, wasn't it? I mean, I, the first drone strike, I think, was in 1998 in uh, <laughs> Afghanistan that was very underreported. Um, but uh, Iraq obviously really set off and I've got some extensive, now it's it's actually proved, I often thought I should take it down, you know, because it's out of date and it's higgledy-piggledy, but it's proved to be a really, really good resource for me to check back on because right. on Murder Incorporated, uh, down with Murder Incorporated, I went into sort of the esoteric side of things as well, examining cults, examining cult control, examining the elites, and doing it in a kind of way which it's grown into what I do now, which is like confirmation bias to and for things all the time. And and kind of being a bit schizophrenic about it as well. So it's like, it's not like an ergo, if this is true, this is true. It's more like, what well, if both are true? Or what, let's see where we can go with this. And it just, it leads me into different avenues and keeps my mind open. That's the way I like to approach it, you know. Yeah. Uh, well, so, and yeah. I... I definitely suggest people go check it out because at this point there's just so much information. You've got so many articles up uh, and it's going back through, you know, years of, um, of exploring this alternative subject matter. And I, I mean, as I was preparing for this interview, actually, I was checking some of your stuff out uh, just about the COVID situation and realizing that like, I mean, this is what's so phenomenal. Someone like you, uh, really has all the information up there, for example, that is, has just now been released in the RFK book about Dr. Fauci. I mean, you go right. deep, yeah. deep into Fauci's connections with AIDS and AZT and the similarities between the AIDS crisis and, and the whole COVID thing and the way Fauci's handling COVID. And, and uh, you know, again, I can only imagine the frustration that you must feel when you're coming up with this stuff. I mean, literally decades before everybody else. And then, you know, like these other people kind of are following in your footsteps, but um it's all it's a strange one because what's happened is I mean my murder incorporated I do go off and write and go into tangents and write what I've found, but a lot of it was actually sort of um building pages to other people's work. So I was very, very uh, interested in what John Rappaport was doing, uh -huh. what Sherry Tenpenny, because Sherry Tenpenny was about back then. And people like that, and Brandy Vaughan, uh, I got to know of. And I was also in contact with, there was a, a really great writer called Cheryl Seal, um, was doing some stuff. Um, it, it came to the point where I was posting stuff with indie media, and what really started to get my hackles up was, it was really strange. All around the world, 9-11 was questions in every indie media. And I was looking at Italy, I was looking at San Francisco, at New York, uh, Canada, I was looking at India, Mumbai, they all had indie medias, and they were brilliant. And in the British one was the only one that as soon as you put something up about 9-11, they started calling you an anti-Semite. Right, right. And I'm just like, what? Right. And so, yeah, it was very strange. And and other people were posting, like Cheryl Seal, and, and immediately getting called a, a, a crackpot, a conspiracy nut, and all of those, you know, and it was about the time, actually, that the ADL were really digging into David Icke as well. You know, you know where they actually sure. set up I mean, chat rooms with their own race hate in it. You know, they actually set up their own neo-Nazi websites to make it look like, oh, sure, it's an awful <laughs> business. It's an awful business. And you just think, well, how can I be a dear? It's 
And I've never agreed with anti-Semitism, but like Semites, you know, if you're a Semite, you're, you're from Arabia. <laughs> you're an Arab, you're a Jew. It's the area. <laughs> Very strange. How did I get onto that anyway? But... Well, and and, uh, and I mean, that was something that was definitely started um, many, many years ago, and it's still coming to a head with uh, everybody yeah. who's a conspiracy theorist. They try to label as anti-Semitic. And I mean, I just did an interview with... Uh, uh, Dr. Cynthia McKinney, and she's been hammered by this because she talks about the dancing Israelis. And it's like, well, right. the, the Israelis were dancing there. I mean, we have pictures of them and we have them in, in on Israeli TV saying, hey, we were there. Well, they've got all, the, they've got all the, uh, the deposition, the documents where they took them in for questioning. Right. You know, there was like, you know, six guys and they got pictures of them. They seem to have disappeared off the web. I don't know if I've got them on the site, but there's a picture of them by the van looking out over to WTC while it's still standing. And I think these photographs taken, you know, days, if not hours before it happened. Um, I mean, these things happen all Yeah, okay. Okay, yeah, cut off. Hello, who's that? Yeah, Anybody right. out there? <laughs> Why don't you let people know where you are just so, because you are a long way away and we, we may have uh, a little connectivity issues. Yeah, my internet's been, been fine. So um, I've got, I, I leech from next door, it's all free. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm actually living in. I'm, <laughs> shh, don't tell anyone. <laughs> I, uh, I'm living in North Cyprus uh, on the Turkish side. Um, Cyprus was divided in 1974 by a civil war that was promulgated by, I would say, controlling forces from the Eisenhower uh, onwards uh, regimes. Uh, Eisenhower famously called Cyprus a flea on the elephant's back. And uh, right. yes, uh, there was a, a Balkans type. This is a pre-Balkans war, if you like. When people say Balkanization, what they really should say is Cypriotization, because that's what <laughs> happened here as well. <laughs> they basically they stoked both sides of the racial and ethnic divide uh, uh, in order to create a foment war. Then they divided the country. So Turkish took the, the top. Funny how they're NATO now. And um, the South got... Uh, bases and American influence. So they've got British bases, got a map that covers right down to uh, Syria and beyond. It's been there for well, God long, 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 felt more like home than, than England ever did. I do like England. I've been around it and toured it, and I love the, the, the countryside, and I love it. it's beautiful. I studied art in Falmouth and Cornwall. Absolutely adore it. But the sea's warmer here, and it's nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. The weather is definitely better. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, well, I was in the pool earlier. It was really cold, but it was, yeah, it, it woke me up. Right. <laughs> it's still nice and sunny. Yeah, it's lovely. Well, why don't we discuss a little bit about your artistic past? Because you do uh, post a lot of music and poetry up on the website, and and just kind of compare and contrast, I guess, uh, your art with um, your more journalistic work, uh, and how how the two kind of blend together. Because I I really appreciate it. Actually, I think more artists need That's to be nice. involved in this in this work, right? And and it's a great actually. Because and we can get into this later too. I mean, you you mentioned the whole cult phenomenon, the cognitive dissonance that a lot of people have when you 
go against the the dominant corporate narrative um, and how logic, which we're all trying to do is independent media or independent journalism. It just doesn't break through that barrier, but maybe art is a more effective medium actually, ultimately. I mean, yeah, I mean, art for me, I mean, I've always been artistic at school. I was like, I, I, I only got six O levels. I'm, I'm not, I'm not that intelligent. You know, I hated exams. I cheated them all, really. I had to get like six to so I could go to the first art college, my uh, one in Luton, so that I could go on and do a degree. And then I just wanted to get as quickly out of Dunstable and Luton as possible. Um, just because it was it was one of those hit towns, right? It's like you have them in America, you know, they're kind of backwater. Right. Like <laughs> yeah, we do. Town, right? South Park kids. It's like, like, you know, it's like we just want to get out. Uh, I love it now, though. I mean, no disrespect anyone from Dunstable Luton. Hello. I think you're, you're lovely. I just, uh, you should have seen it in 1980. It was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that was it, really. I just wanted to, I just made this mad plan when I was about sort of 15, 14, 15. I've got to get out and go to art college. And uh, that was that was it. It was like, it's better that it was easier than being an intellectual. And I, and I really, really don't like university people at, at that time. Right. I really hard work too, and I'm a bit lazy. And, and actually, it proved to be the making of uh, what, what I ended up like, because I was never any good at writing. I used to write creatively, but all the spelling wrong. Half the site spelled wrong. I'm, I'm pretty rubbish at it. But, um, <laughs> to actually get into I was really, really intimidated by having to write essays uh, for the degree. And I was like, oh, good. And uh, this guy sat me down and just took me through. How it, don't be daunted, you know, don't worry about the amount of words. Pictures alongside it, and then you'll find that the more pictures you use, the more you want to write about it. So that kind of, and there's also other stuff now, and back then, which is that's kind of where, where I come from and how they merge. Is the meaning of objects and pictures, like say the Greeks, that this is not a pipe. It's fantastic sort of example of of um, uh, being able to cognitively understand that it isn't a pipe. It's a picture of a pipe, right? So you go through that dimension, you go through that window. The painting is window, and it's that reality thing. And I think people are having conflict, really having problems with that basic sort of assumption, right? In these days, I, I do with the idea of metaverse and the idea of uh, virtual reality. I'd, you know, virtual reality, it's, a, it's an anathema. <laughs> That's a contradiction in terms. You either, you know, you've got reality or virtual. It should be just virtual reality. Yeah. So, yeah, well, I, I got into doing writing um, very creatively for my, for my essays. One of my essays was they gave me, it was a 5,000-word essay on... on um, what was it about? It was something really shit. It was something like um, subjectivity, right? It's five thousand word essay. So what I did was I got a notepad and I just wrote random words five thousand times and hmm. then put a finishing line at the end, a checkered, a checkered line, and then wrote one letter after it. <laughs> I got sixty percent for that. No, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I was smoking. Something good. <laughs> <laughs> it's very creative. Very creative. <laughs> That's the sort of thing we used to get up to. It was nineties. It was like I went there at eighty eight to ninety one, and uh, you know you'd be writing your essay on the beach and smoking joint and eating and going to raves at night. And I was in bands and stuff and playing at night. And then I lived on a bus for a year as well. 
for John and Jasmine. You know, John Warburton up in there. Uh, he's well away now. He's gone. He's up in up north. Uh, we used to live on a bus, and we used to. There <laughs> used to be a whole bunch of us called the Brew Crew, and they're all like, you know, not, uh, you know, no fixed boat travellers. They got the stripy jumper. They got the dog on a string, right? And they're like, you know, we all sit around a fire. And it was proper. It was really nice. Uh, we used to like strip caravans down and weigh them in. <laughs> make money and then yeah, go right. buy a crate of special brew it was brilliant it was brilliant totally illegal I got in trouble with it. I got in trouble with the cops loads of time and I nearly got chucked out of college and that was when <laughs> when I nearly got chucked out I found school of art I was like oh, oh, oh right I better get on with this so I managed to claw myself back into it actually had to go and live in a proper house <laughs> windows the door man yeah sucks <laughs> but that sort of environment as well the, the free free festivals were great as well because it wasn't all Glastonbury and paying and loads of money it was all free and it was like you know you'd meet all these people like Spiral Tribe and then we're playing and you know it was the, the, the atmosphere back then was was akin to the 60s it was really really amazing and you really felt yeah. like something was actually happening completely new forms of music were being made and bouncing off each other and old forms were coming back and resurfacing it was amazingly, uh, well, it was just incredible time to be alive. And I, I'm, I kind of feel a bit sorry for the younger generations. I really do. And I think that's partly what drives me. Is like, I really would like them to experience what I've experienced. And it doesn't look like they've got much of a choice. And I kind of want to know why, really. Why haven't they got any choice? Well, it doesn't look yeah. like they have, does it? It's just enforcement of, of choice has now taken over, you know, but the death of the club scene in Britain really came about with a piece of legislation called the Civil Contingencies Bill. Uh, 2004, it was updated, but I think it came in a bit earlier than that. And um, it was to stop illegal raves, essentially. And for, I actually met a, a posse called the Exodus Posse, and I only, only met them briefly for a couple of days. I stayed with them, and they were really nice. I, I, I went to one of their raves. I did a bit of graffiti for them. But they told me the story of one of their members, Bixie, who got framed for murder. And it's very interesting the way that this story sort of rolls out because they frame him for murder. And what it turns out is, is the town councillor is a mason and they didn't want, they had an agreement with Whitbread, a massive brewery in Luton. And what was happening was all these kids were going to these raves, taking ease and that, but they weren't drinking in the pubs. So the, the management. Uh -oh. Right. Oh, what are they going to do? So what they did was they, 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 they actually conspired to bring down the Exodus Posse, uh, yeah, by framing this guy for murder. Hmm. Uh, Channel 4 did a documentary about it. Oh, I can't remember what it was called. The guy who was doing that documentary was there while I was there. It was really interesting to talk to him. Um, so those sort of things are going on, and you sort of think, oh, it gets even more deeper and darker and horrible and twisted. And you think, just, just for the sake of you thousand kids having a good time, you know, on a farm. You know, Exodus had their own farm. They would have their own animals. They, they would absolutely want to drive through Luton in a Jeep, you know, like kind of banditos, you know, <laughs> like, you know, Cuba style. And, uh, you know, you, you, the Masons and all these high-ups with, with a funny handshake brigade are all conspiring to, to stop it all because they want to sell, they want bums on seats. And eventually, with that civil contingency bill, which stopped gathering more than 30 people or more than 15 people at any one time, and if you were caught without permission to gather, you could have your equipment taken off you and confiscated. Unbelievable, draconian right. shit. People were saying, oh, it looks like it might be a police state now. Imagine what we were thinking back then. 
So it's kind of like, if you put it in perspective, it's been going on for a very long time. And it is about getting bums on seats. It's about consumer society. It's about corporatism. And it is about that kind of, I was going to say, the best form, I, I am in favour of the best form of censorship. And that is that little red button you've got on your device, which tells you you can turn it off. Yeah, it absolutely. Looks like, it looks like they don't want you to know about that little button anymore. They want you to keep it on all the time. Eventually, they'll probably take that button away, but they're not allowed to at the moment. You see what I mean? It is like you're saying, like they're building this virtual world that we're yeah. all going to live inside of and that they control the creation of. I mean, that's, you know, the stories that you're describing to me remind me of the fact that the art scene has really been taken away from the common man. Um, you know, it's so difficult to make it. Anyone that is trying to make it as an artist, as an independent artist, uh, I mean, it's a lot like being an independent uh, media content creator, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you've done it as well. You're a music producer, so, you know, we're, we're similar backgrounds, really. You, you produce music and you've done other things as well, haven't you? Um, so it's really hard. I mean, sort of like one of the challenges, uh, people ask me, why is it all free? Why is your work all free? Right? And this is, this is a great story, right? I was outside Reading Festival, right? And uh, we bought a load of beers, but what, crates of them. Crates beers because we thought we could get them in. We got to the door and it turns out you couldn't take your own alcohol in. We're like, oh, what? So we're right. sitting on these beers and we're drinking them as quickly as we can. But we can't. <laughs> so I'm trying to, I'm trying to give them away to people. Hey, do you want a beer? And they're walking past and these are festival guys going, no thanks. No, because if it's free, there's something wrong with it. If I started charging for them, they'd probably come and buy them. Right. <laughs> What's wrong with this idea of freedom? Consumerism has brainwashed people into the idea that it's worthless if it doesn't cost money. It has to be tagged with a label. It has to have that price tag on it because that gives it value, apparently. And that's your classic patronizing uh, a patron telling you you won't be legitimized unless you price what you do. You know? And so yeah. I find it more of a challenge to try and give things away for free and exist in the free, and you're totally free. I've got one album for sale, but poor old John Rowe, he had sold me <laughs> what I had. Um, <laughs> try and exist for free. It's much more of a challenge, isn't it? Because I don't have to, you know, I haven't got like 50,000 quid to bung into PR for it. Or, you know, everything, people have to realise, everything they've seen that they think is legitimate has got PR behind it. And it's all got this a big industry backing to it. Right. And the reason why they think they like it is it's because they're being told they do. So what's more legitimate, me giving it away free or you being told you like something because of the flashing things on the screen that tell you that it's legitimate and because it's had a BAFTA and because it's won a music award or, or because this? Or... Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, as Australia. with art, everything's been so corporatized and then you can't, you can't get those distribution outlets. So no matter how good your work is, uh, you know, unless you've kind of, I mean, maybe literally made a deal with the devil. Uh, yeah, you're, no. You know, <laughs> you're not going to get it. It really did, Doug. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've got another story as well. I was working making the early stuff for like 1998, and I'd already done a lot. I, I went really prolific, and I just really got hooked into making music on a computer. And uh, I got a phone call from an old mate, and he was working for uh, Channel Five, uh, Trevor, uh, and he was he was uh, doing the uh, he was doing PR, and he was doing like. Uh, storming sessions trying to find people to work for uh, a thing called scrap hit challenge 
and they needed some music for it. And, and uh, Trevor knew I did techno and that, and I did industrial techno too. And uh, so he asked me, he rang me up and goes, would you be interested in doing the titles and the incidentals for Scrapping Challenge? I thought, well, that's a bit of a break, isn't it? And I said, sure, what's the money? And he went, ah, you're not going to get paid. What you'll get is points. And the hat, this is the system, the way it is, right? You do a little bit of work, you get points, and that gives you access to studio time. Huh. I'm like, what? So, what? <laughs> I just, no. I yeah, right. Points, I want my rent paid. <laughs> right. Yeah, crazy, right? And so you get that. And you can imagine it. I did those incidentals. They give me some points that are absolutely useless. How do I get more points? I'd have to keep working with them. But I bet you old Sky-owned Channel 5 let every person that does their sounds for all their programs just lets them go after one series and gets the next one in. Yeah. Because it's a conveyor belt. A conveyor belt of convenient, cheap labor. I actually treated. Right. I actually just did a, a, an interview with the, this author, Donald Jeffries, who wrote a book about Hollywood. And one of the things mm. he was talking about, it's basically even because he was just astounded at how many people even who maybe make it onto a TV show, maybe make some kind of decent money for a two, three, four year run and have some fame and notoriety. You know, people know who they are and then they just get canned, you know, the, because I think the next, like you're talking about, the next cheap labor is right behind them. They never work again. And how many people that we think are, even people who are, you know, we think are rich and famous actually end up, you know, broken homeless. <laughs> Absolutely. In fact, I mean, I uh, there was a, a friend of my, my missus, uh, Debbie Smith, who was a guitarist with a band called Echo Belly. Remember Echo Belly? Fantastic band. Yeah. Um, when I met her, we had a lovely party and that, and I got to know her, and uh, she was a bit, you know, pop starry. It's really pop starry, actually. But the next, about three years later, we used to go up to Edinburgh Festival to watch the comedy and look at uh, theatre and, and just get generally very, very drunk. <laughs> and, um, but we saw Debbie, and she was uh, DJing. Uh, and she was doing this, like, really late-night slot, and we talked to her, and she asked us... Can you buy us a drink? And I'm like, well, I mean, got any money? And she goes, well, no, they've got me like holed up in this like one bedroom in like hotel, and they're paying me like ninety pound a week. Wow, right? And she was on the front giving cover her of NME two years, three, four years before that. She was on the front cover of NME and Melody Maker and things, and she had to do that to fulfil her contract. Right. <laughs> that was a five album deal, and she had to do that. That's where they put her. I'm like, God, I'm so glad that I didn't take the mountain of cocaine and join in with the, you know, that set, because I nearly did. I nearly uh, I nearly got signed, and I, I actually changed my mind. I just said, no, I don't want to do it. I think I'll be dead by the time, you know. Right. Because I've got quite an addictive personality. I'm not a shy boy. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I yeah. have got a very addictive personality, and, I, you know, I think sometimes it's good to just have a little sit back and, and discover yourself in a quiet and methodical way. We don't have all the answers. Yeah. Yeah. I had a, I had a friend uh, that it was similar. She actually started as a backup singer for a band in Austin. And then, um, you know, they were, they got signed. They were kind of a, a, an opening act. She ended up dating the guy, I think from the band called the darkness back in the nineties. Oh, and then, yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, and then of course, oh, they, it didn't go anyway. <laughs> Just but, oh uh, wow! What a what a uh, total spinal tap of a band! I love it. <laughs> 
Um, I do. I really love them because they're so Queen. He should have been the next singer after Freddie for right. Queen. <laughs> so flamboyant. So flamboyant. But even that? still. We need a bit of flamboyance. Satanic, really, don't we? We need a bit of flamboyance in the music industry that isn't just like a load of satanic imagery after you know, <laughs> the devil. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, it's got it's gotten so crazy. Um, and again, these corporations have moved in, just like with everything else. It is the same with art, and they they uh, they suck people up, they chew you know they chew them up, they spit them out, uh, and it's just like this this grinding wheel uh, of artists yeah. that um, uh, remain underappreciated, never really make it unless you're one of the chosen few, um, you know, perhaps, perhaps Absolutely. again, for, for yeah. reasons that um, we don't really even want to want to know about what, it's you know, what they nice. get into. And then those people are allowed to be super famous. And other than that, it's such a tough gig. And, and it's really, it's indicative of the entire corporate system. I mean, this is just the thing. I mean, like art is just, um, it's a great way to kind of segue into the, the, the bigger conspiracy that we're dealing with this corporate system that has alienated, uh, everything. I, you know, sometimes yeah. I think a lot about how it's almost like it, you know, it is corruption. What I, I continuously call the corporate government system, where these two yeah. these entities are like working hand in hand to build this, and we've talked about this before, but this whole system of colonization, this you know world dominating economic system, uh, it's alienating yeah. all the people of the masses of the people that it just gets they they suck people in, and these people are actually they have to build their own prisons, you know. I mean, art mm -hmm. truly liberating art is never going to be allowed. Uh, to be distributed well, through the corporate I'm system. I'm a massive fan. Yeah, I'm a massive fan of outsider art. I mean, like, yeah. there is a wonderful documentary by Jarvis Cocker about uh, outsider art, and it is on YouTube. Um, I, I would recommend it to anybody watching. Um, it's really great because it goes to what power and places like that. And these guys were just obsessed with what they were doing. A lot of them are very religious, which is very strange as well. So they're just like completely obsessed. They lock themselves away and they cover their walls in just mad outsider art sculpture. And it becomes a shrine to their own lives. And I suppose, in a way, my website is like that. It's like a shrine to my own little kind <laughs> right. of strange place that I want to grow, my little web garden, my little allotment that I want to grow, you know. And, you know, it's, it's for me, I'm never really worried about sort of, I actually put a thing on to find out how many people are, are looking on it and then I took it off again because it got really depressing. <laughs> 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 but, you know, yeah, everybody needs that little place, I think. Everybody, everybody, you know, it doesn't matter if you don't think you're creative. I tell you what, if you don't think you're creative, you very probably are. And if you think you're creative, you're very probably pretentious. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> pretentious, moi. <laughs> no, never, never. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, let's uh, let's kind of dive a little bit deeper into this because, um, you know, again, this this the the almost subtle, not so subtle difference, um, but almost subtle difference between art and propaganda because propaganda has become just ubiquitous and and the. You know, a lot of times it's the production value that just fools people. And then the distribution, because it's all over the place, makes people think that it's, you know, valuable art or valuable news. Um, 
And it's very similar to the word of God, isn't it? It's yeah. like as soon as you put the Bible into print, it becomes more authoritarian, doesn't it? It becomes like, oh, well, this means it is real because the, the Gutenberg invented the printing press. Yeah, exactly. More genuine. Wouldn't it seem more genuine to you if it was actually handwritten? Because <laughs> that's what it used to be. It was these beautiful scribed books. You know, I love to see some of these libraries. In fact, um, the musician of ethnography over in Istanbul is an absolute. Anybody going to visit the book, go and visit it. It's fantastic. It's got actually one of the first written uh, depictions of Allah's name. Yeah. Allah. I just, when I was talking with uh, Dr. McKinney, actually, we, we used, uh, I, I don't know if you're familiar with the, the book Pedagogy of the Oppressed by Paolo Freire, but um, no. we were talking about his, because he talks a lot about um, the propaganda. He's actually a, a very left-wing communist writer, but he was complaining about the fact that the communists were starting to use propaganda, in, you know, exactly what we're talking about, the same way that capitalist systems use propaganda. And uh, he was saying, like, look, I mean, this is not going to lead towards uh, liberation for the people. You have to engage in this dialogue with people and education needs to be a part of this dialogue. And it, it that's exactly it even kind of harkens back to what you're talking about. Once they write it down, it becomes the word of God. And, uh, you know, once they once you got the news system set up with the production value or once you've got the big stage uh then people people believe it must be true because it looks so flashy because it's been written down set in stone um and then you lose this whole aspect of actually having a dialogue with other human beings because the dialogue is it looks like what we're doing right now you know (laughs) it doesn't have it's not so flashy even though it's way deeper and and um it has a respect for the authenticity of the other individual that you're interacting with instead of imposing your belief from above, from on the top of the hierarchy, you know? Yeah, top of the mountain, yeah. Right. Yeah, you know, the broadcast, the idea of broadcast, you know, casting, you know, like catching fish or casting a spell. Sure. Mass media, appeal broad. It's all there. It's just about, it's about mass mind control. Even... Down Even the, the word the, levels of record companies and that's sort of like if you look at I was looking at Travis um, the rapper of this latest Astro World thing and yeah a sweet sweet kid really you know and everybody all the Christians all went on him satanic satanic and I sort of looked at I, had, you know, I watched a couple of interviews with him and Astro World's about his psyche it's about you know him being confused in this music business because it's all got a bit out of control for him I think you know yeah. he wants to remake Astro World from 12 Flags, it's Six Flags, um, I forget where it is, but yep. he basically wants to make a, make a kind of theme park in his brain to deal with the psychological pressure of, of the music industry, <laughs> which is really interesting, right? And then and then he put him on stage and make it all look really, really weird, just turn it. That whole going into the mouth, that is about a theme park, that is what it's, it's going, you're going into his psychology of how he's dealing with the fact that he really wishes he was a kid back on those rides. Yeah. Well, and this goes back to the whole authenticity question. Like every artist really wants to, um, I think, present their art in an authentic way, you know, from their from the heart to the people. 
yeah. uh, to try to spread typically, you know, a message of liberation. This is why people are attracted to being artists, right? But then uh, the message gets co-opted. And in order to be okay. successful, you have to yeah. participate in this corporate system. And then you've got, you know, you're not going to get the distribution unless you do what they tell you. And then they're the ones yeah. that are building the sets and twisting your yeah. message. So twisting even when the, the yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, yeah. for me, my deep dive on that was the one that goes into RCA and BMG and Sony and RCA's history of being radar, really, post-war Manhattan Project and radar systems. And if you look at the idea of broadcasting and you look at the idea of mass media, that's what it is, really. So it's not, it's not too hard to see the leap from the idea of radar and broadcasting because they come from the same companies. They all invested in it. And then back at the turn of the century, as, tele- as radio was starting to get big, yeah. it turned into television. Yeah, you know, these things from all these major companies. This Serco is part of RCA. Do you know that? Huh. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Serco. And Serco now is like this massive total bet behemoth of a company. It's just huge. It does, it does everything. Yeah, it's so wild how how few people. I mean, they talk about oh, you know, you, there's can't be some grand conspiracy. And then when you start to look at the corporations and the people on the board of directors, and you go, except it is. They're all working together, and they're all producing. You know, they're in, they're all working right. in concert to 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 produce this kind of propaganda on the masses. And then like. I mean, it gets to be mind blowing when you start to realize, like you're talking about, like way back in the radio days and the early yeah. television days, where they call it television programming. Mm-hmm. They're they're learning consciously. These people who are on the board of directors, the upper class, they're consciously learning how to literally brainwash and hypnotize the mass of the public with this propaganda machine that's just gigantic and and now worldwide. Yeah. There's a lot of neuro-linguistic programming going on. There's a lot of post-hypnotic script going on. Um, I mean, behind the news, just look at the news. I mean, it's been like it for years. I used to look, not at the newsreader, but the animations going on behind them. Yeah. They're just constantly moving. This is a hypnotic script going on here. This is like saying, look, and you will see uh, the Wizard of Oz. (laughs) Absolutely. Read off the auto cue, and you're just looking at it. It's like (laughs) Delia. Yeah. It's psychedelia, but it's used in a very, very political way, you know? So um, all of those are connected. And then when you approach people with something that tries to break through, you know, information that's different from this information that they've essentially been propagandized with through all this hypnotic technology, they literally cannot, like the, the cognitive dissonance kicks in. They can't even acknowledge that a different perspective than a more authentic perspective uh, could possibly exist. And now we're seeing, I mean, you know, in the last couple of years with COVID where they're just controlling the narrative completely censoring, uh, other people calling it disinformation or hate speech. Like we started the conversation with, uh, you know, being yeah. targeted as anti-Semitic. like, what, yeah. what, <laughs> what are you talking about? And yet, uh, so many people yeah. out there automatically link, you know, anything outside of the corporate narrative with, you know, domestic terrorism or anti-Semitism or any of this stuff. And that all has just been programmed inside of their minds to make them literally incapable of being able to accept uh, independent information from people that are just authentically seeking to find the truth for themselves. Yeah, right. From a good place as well. Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes. I mean, you've got kind of like the world's a bit like a circus. It's a bit like a festival. 
and like you know you have your carnies and you have your people selling snake oil and you have you know you roll up roll up come and have a look at the latest mystery this is the mystery machine ufos and you know and other dimensions and stuff and it's all valid because what i like to do is take everything and 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 it, it is all legitimate if it exists it doesn't matter whether it's true or not if it's right. legitimately taking me on a journey somewhere I'll, I'll use my confirmation bias or my the other way of swing and go well that doesn't feel right there might be a reason for that and use them to jump around and then it's amazing what you can come up with it's like i've, I've, I've strung together some really weird like connections of like completely synchronous synchronous events that happened to me I've just read them and then made a piece out of them it, it, it might look absolutely batshit loco to some people right yeah, if you come to a conclusion out of it and, and draw conclusions that actually help you uh, understand what's going on in the world, then, then I think it's a fair way to go. You know, there's no bad and there's no good in terms of research and how you do it, is there? Yeah. You know, it's like it's your own path. Yeah. I like to be <laughs> – I mean, some people are quite professional and, and, and sort of write proper pieces and stuff. Like, I've just been talking to Ian Davis, and Ian Davis has been doing some marvellous work recently about the uh, global public-private partnership. Uh-huh. There's an excellent – I will recommend uh, the Whitney Webb podcast with Corey Morningstar and Ian Davis, where Ian Davis just gives one of the best presentations I think I've ever seen. Um, it is very, very good. Uh, and Ian, Ian was saying to me, I'm going to check out some of your website, but I'm really, really busy. But can you appraise it for me? And I was like, oh, that's going to take me a year. I'm going to have to go through it all. Because I've been meaning to go through them and so that it's easier to see what things are what in the thing. But I like doing silly titles, so you can't possibly know what it is. And then you, you jump into it, and then you actually scroll down, and you, hopefully there's a narrative in there as well that, that I'm kind of seeding. But it's something that you can make up your own mind about, you know, and decide what it's about as well. So it's a bit more subjective, my, my way of looking at it. It's yeah. post-normal critique, you know. We're not living in normal times. There are all sorts of weaponized narratives being employed by psyops people and, and behavioral scientists and neuroscientists now. And we've got some really James Gordiano, you know, the, the uh, army ethics, I think it's naval actually, isn't it? Naval research ethics about future technologies very interesting guy um you know he's talking about ethics and then talking about putting chips in people and sort of like you know and growing uh neurological things from birth and you know for surveillance purposes really i mean this is what yeah. we've, got. we've got surveillance society growing out of surveillance societies that are uh, exponentially kind of completely out of control it's pandora's boxes well and truly open as far as genomics is concerned and, and sort of stuff like that and neurological research um, they see, it seems to be a gold rush. It seems to be that they've something's triggered this, and I think it was the 2008 crisis. I think the economic crisis sent the money boys sprawling a little bit, and they were about to have another one in 2020. And I think they just went right. Well, we've got to do something here yeah. because we want to keep in control. We want power. You know, we want to keep this power. So what we're going to do is we're going to dress it up in lovely language, sustainable language, and we're going to PR the hell out of it. And old Klaus Schwab. From the club of rome i mean it goes back so many years and it's all computer modeling the entire climate change debate was started by a computer model uh invented by mit scientists the club of rome's limited growth was built around the modeling of right. that supercomputer that they built in mit and that all comes from manhattan project all these people come from the manhattan, manhattan project there's a chinese scientist that was involved in the manhattan project that has become the father of social credit scores and smart cities. And we've got on the other side, we've got another guy 
who went on to form NASA Jet Propulsion Labs, that is dealing with quantum computing and and all sorts of things. And 5G, where the, the precursor of 5G was developed at, at the Jet Propulsion Labs, which was obviously about um, your Voyager going to Jupiter and the communications set up for that. You know, we're talking millimeter radar going into communications and satellites. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about sending probes off and being able to talk to them. So that, that is the precursor of what 5G has become from 4, 3, 4, and 5G. Um, so all of this is based in the military and military planning, Marshall Plan, Manhattan Project. It's all based in these massive, what they were called mega projects. And it's funny, I got a lot of this information from Dominic Cummins' blog. Dominic Cummins is the uh, communications director for the Conservative Party at the time of Brexit and became Boris Johnson's sort of right-hand man and then fell out with it famously. Hmm. And he's now doing some very, very dodgy, naughty stuff, I think, trying to get Boris out. Uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> he's behind it. But Dominic <laughs> Cummings' blog talks about Kai Chai Singh. I, I can't remember his name properly. I'll have to look it up, but it's on my blog. Um, being the father of systems analysis. You know, all these people are into models and modelling and creating this technotopia, you know, that what we, you know, the, the, the technocracy that we know and we see now in places like Singapore and Sweden and Estonia especially, I would say, keep an eye out for Estonia because that's going to go fully digital. That's going to go cashless pretty soon and Sweden will probably follow. Singapore hmm. looks to be going, Malaysia looks to be going. They're the technocratic capitals. It's no, no uh, coincidence that the WF were going to hold their meeting in Singapore. Um, it's, it's a massive shining light to what they're going to be bringing in in the fourth industrial revolution and are gradually doing it as expected. It's just kind of holding in while everybody's panicking about a virus that kills yeah. 99.8 of the population, uh, <laughs> that doesn't kill 99.8 of the population. <laughs> strange virus, this microbe, this invader, alien, programming all the way from Mars attacks, from, from way back the old idea of alien invaders. Right, Orson Welles. Almost as if uh, they have genetically propagandized us to believe and be scared of such things. So we've got fear of immigrants, fear of terrorists, fear of microbes, fear of... It's all been programmed in through mass media and political programming, yeah. I mean, no accident that Tony Blair got into power on the back of foot and mouth and, and more disease scares. They, right. they correlate exactly with his election success. It's just unbelievable. He scares the shit out of the public, kills a shitload of animals, six million cattle. Uh, he even got the army involved. It's play for play what's going on now. Uh, obviously, this is on a grander scale and what could be called the next step up from a mega project, which is a terror project. And it's global. And this is what Prince Charles said in his recent speech after COP26. He wants to militarize the response to climate change. Right. How do you do that? Well, you're going to bomb microbes. Um, well, you're going to bomb the sun. Well, <laughs> one of the things, yeah, one of the things that was in uh, RFK's book, kind of in his conclusion about uh, the real Dr. Fauci, was that the whole coronavirus thing, actually, the whole warp speed thing to push the vaccine out was actually like 75 percent military operation completely militarized and and i want this is something that like i had a conversation last month with uh, alana freeland and Mm -hmm. i don't think like people have this notion that 
science is creating the new technology. And this is, and I want to get into this with you too, about it's basically a cult religion, this idea that science is kind of driving progress and the human race is moving forward because the science is determined that this is the best way forward. And we're sort of evolving towards this, you know, basically transhumanist utopia. Um, Mm -hmm. But the fact of the matter is that all of our technologies now, and people people really don't get it. It's not like it's not like altruistic people are are in their garages doing experiments, you know, yeah. like back in the day with with a Tesla with yeah. a Nikola Tesla or something. It's like all literally all of the technology comes out of the military industrial complex. I mean, the mRNA vaccines come right out of the military industrial complex. Um, you know, all of this 5G, all of this technology, it's not like it's a natural evolutionary process. It's like there's a handful of people who are at the top of this military hierarchy who are literally controlling the, I mean, it's, and it, I think it's hard to believe for a lot of people, but they are literally controlling the direction that humanity and civilization are going in and they have yes, unlimited funds. Yeah, yeah control evolution. But it, co- it comes from a, a very strange place. It's been going on for eons. I mean, it's like a classic quote from John Dee, who was advisor to Queen Elizabeth I. Yeah. Is science is a higher form of magic. Right? And that's what we get, you see. So there's been a, a, a lot of us have believed that the, uh, the, the military industrial complex is 50 years ahead of anything that they release and tell us that it's new. So you kind of got like, you know, okay, in 1997, uh, I believe it was reported in Jane's uh, avion- avionics about the first uh, X-45, I think it was an X-45B bomber, uh, flew up, it's an autonomous drone, it released the payload and hit its car target, and it only released the payload because it was told to, but it did it on its own. That's in mm. 1997. Yeah. Right, okay, and you had the Ducats program, which was basically going to get them to fly in swarms in formation. They canned the Ducats program, and actually uh, all the money went into the space plane, the X, the, the new X-46 or whatever it was. I can't remember. I don't, forgive me if the numbers aren't right. I'm not that... <laughs> I'm not that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, that was the uh, space reconnaissance plane. It was highly secret for many years, and then suddenly came, came sort of like reporting. But yeah, those those uh, those kind of uh, we we don't get to see what they're doing. We don't get there's no accountability. Right. There's no democracy. I mean, it's you actually know. it's interesting to think about because you know we just had this conversation about art, but actually science is equally as co-opted. I mean, it's not like you know the average the the, the curious scientist, and and there are many. Uh, and they have theories that are outside of the mainstream narrative, and they all get called quacks and crazy, you know, mad oh, yeah. scientists and everything. People yeah. that are I mean, you, interested you, you in free energy. Like yeah, you know, it's cold fusion technology ideas uh, right. have now been taken on. You know, they're really going for it. They, they've got it to uh, to actually produce, um, you know, many times. <laughs> sort of the power of the sun for about 10 seconds, I think it is now. Wow. You just go, Come on, that took a lot of energy. Like, whole of China just goes dark for about a second, isn't it? Right. <laughs> just, it takes so much energy to make it something that's supposed to not take so much energy. You know, there's a whole there's a whole kind of myriad of problems with what they're doing and the way their reasoning works. And it's very scientism based. It's very kind of like it, it it doesn't make sense. So, like if you look at how a nuclear power reactor works, right? It just basically 
<laughs> you get all this nuclear power, it heats up water, it produces steam, and it makes turbines go around. That's it boils it. water. I know. <laughs> it boils water. It's just a really posh kettle. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and we're all going to be, uh, you know, glow in the dark if we're not careful in Finland. Right. They're going to bring them in. That's the next stage is, is the kind of climate deal that's going to merge with COVID. Um, this COVID thing is about um, we've got this like national socialism had a had a hygiene element to it, didn't it? You know, it was kind of like you know we have to be and and a green element as well with national socialism. Yeah. Uh, not not recognised that there was a, that Hitler was was into his green stuff and he was a vegetarian and he was you know and he wanted to save the planet kind of thing. Well, it would save the country more. You know, we've got to be strong and fit. But this is what's going on on a global level now. We're making people paranoid about their health. All the time, right? And then rewarding them with burgers. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> On the phone, if you behave yourself, you get a burger voucher. You have you, you go, for, go for a run, and your Fitbit tells you, "Okay, you're entitled to go fucking eat our shit." <laughs> right? <laughs> for your health. <laughs> George George Carlin would have an absolute field day with this one. Yeah, he would. <laughs> oh man, miss him. Right, George Carlin, just be all over this, wouldn't they? So we've got this global hygiene coming in, haven't we? It's just, but it's going to be the health of the planet and the health of us. It's all yeah. coming linked. So we've got this, all the languages there. I mean, that's what's actually so crazy are the the many, many, many parallels between the Third Reich and what's happening now that people are just ignoring. Um, even the terms that they used in the Third Reich. You know, it's for your safety. Even the concerns about overwhelming the hospitals. You, you know, this was part of their eugenics program. Well, we've got to take all these sickly people away because we can't have the hospitals getting overcrowded. <laughs> you know, and it's like it's they're really using important. the same playbook. And it's like, my God, yeah. people, can you wake up? And they and they can't. They're so hypnotized into believing what the authority figure tells them. It's uh, like the Milgram experiment where people would shock people. And the guy in the oh, white yeah. lab coat would be like, oh, turn up yeah. the dial, you know, and you can hear I the person that. screaming. Yeah. <laughs> that scene and, where the guy just looks around and goes, really? Right, you know, right. Just does it anyway. So and it's question, like, but he did it anyway. Yeah. yeah. Take and another vaccine. Take anyway. another booster. Take another booster. Yeah. It'll all be good. You know, the guy in the white lab coat is telling you. Dr. Fauci is telling you. And so, I'm you know. I'm quite surprised in America and Canada. I mean, like, you know, all the... I mean, I think it was Michael Moore that did the, what was the one he did about health, so going over the border to Canada to get cheap pills and cheap pharmaceutical um, sicko. Um, I'm not a fan of Michael Moore. I think he, uh, he if you'd have seen his early stuff, it was uh, Video Nation on BBC Two. That was when he was good. He really did some good stuff. Um, but Fahrenheit right. um, 9-11 to travesty and so is everything else he's done. It just becomes raving lunatic. But, um, yeah, I mean, like America is used to having a privatised health care. But in Britain, we've had like the destruction of the NHS for the last 30 years, and it has just gone from bad to worse. And you can see the corporatization coming in. So the difference is, is like you've always, over there, they've always had this kind of like, yeah, you got to pay for it. And it's like, you know, in Britain, it's even more insipidly like, how are these people not seeing what's going on? We've got to save the NHS. It's fucked. How yeah. can we save? It's going, it's on its dying legs, mate. Like, right. It's crazy. 
It's well, really bad what's happened, and it is the destruction of it. You've got new laws coming. I mean, they've just passed the though, and they're bringing in more in the last couple of days. Now you've got nurses being told to go home because they haven't had a vaccination, and then they're worried about staffing, and you think, hey, it worked. And, right? they, and, and they know the vaccines don't stop transmission. So it's like, yeah. why? What, what difference does it make if you're vaccinated? I mean, if theoretically, for a few months, you can limit your, you know, the amount of disease that you're going to get. You, you might stay out of the hospital for a few months until the vaccine wanes, and then you need a booster. That's what yeah. it does, and that's what everybody knows that and yet they can still this this goes to show you how powerful the hypnosis is and the brainwashing is that people still think that everybody's got to get a vaccine and you know it makes sense to mandate the vaccinations even when it doesn't it's not going to stop the transmission so why does anybody care why are anybody why does anybody think this uh they cling to it i mean it's it's unreal what these guys can do this they they literally have the power to create this mass hypnosis and and most yeah. people will fall for it because of the flashy blinky lights in the background and, and the production yeah. values. Yeah. I mean I, I started getting into looking into this with Avian Flu about 2003, 2004, and yeah. Avian Flu is a classic case of um, of mass media control. It was it, it was this to, to a T. Everything happens now as it happened back then. And right. I, I got into looking into people like uh, where the first genomic, genetics companies like Genomed um, that were talking about the management of disease openly, the management of disease. So what you could see was what they wanted was the human body is going to have its dashboard and it's going to be managed all the time. And back then they were talking about it. And, and it raised alarms in me and I started, I, it's actually written on my old site about what's happening now, about um, everybody being continually boosted and upgraded. And that idea of upgrading human health and keeping it at a level obviously comes from Bill Gates and his operating systems. And the moment when Windows 9 and into 10 that started just doing automatic updates without being asked, I knew that a line was crossed and I could see that might happen with health as well. And I think, I think it's done. The frog is boiled, my friend. Yeah. We've got to find a way to say no. And it's not hard to say no. It's like that little button on the front of everything. You can switch it off. Yeah, right. <laughs> Well, well, switch it off. And you just got to wish, I mean, you know, uh, these systems seem overwhelming, the corporate system, the government system there, they have 100% funding, but we are the 99%. I mean, that's for real. And if we all just switched it off, then the world could change tomorrow. And that's why I think yeah. the mind control is so important to these guys. They have to yeah. keep the, the majority of people essentially hypnotized into believing the garbage that they're getting fed, which is only for the benefit of really the 0.1%. I always go to the 0.1 because even the 1%, like, but, but the one, you know, if you look at the, the graphs, the 0.1% own most of what the, you know, 90% of what the 1%. And I think if you even went to the 0.01%, you know, then you're going to find that they own most of that. So it's, it's like, just, it's Vanguard and BlackRock. You yeah. know, it's like, I was absolutely somebody, a, a great video came out from a Dutch lady. Did you see that one about Vanguard and BlackRock? Yeah, it was mind blowing. Oh, it just shows wow. you that like these people control the entire system. And again, 
it's mind blowing that you bring it up. People think you're a conspiracy theorist, like you're some kind of crazy person. It's like you're living in a in a gaslighting world oh, because absolutely. you're like, here's the information, and they're just they're gonna figure out any way to squirm out of looking what at what you're obviously looking at. Like it's just right there. I can't socialize. I can't socialize here. I go out, and, and they tell me not to talk about it. Right. <laughs> well, I have. Before I, I even shut down. As long absolutely. as you don't talk about that, though, and I just go, well. I can't be bothered if I can't if I'm not, if I'm not free to talk about what I want to do, and I wouldn't yeah. be a pain in the ass about it. I mean, people who know me from Whitney Bay who might be uh, watching this will probably know. Yeah, he is a bit of a pain in the ass. He was. He got chucked out of all the pubs because he wouldn't shut up. No, right. I won't shut up. I won't. <laughs> <laughs> all right, yo, I want to fucking save the world. We're all going to save the world. We can. We can do it. We really can. But we can do it in a way that everybody. The technology isn't the problem. It's the misuse of it, and. And it's the control of evolution is is, is what is going on. They are yeah. they are steering us into a false uh, utopia. And yeah. It's like this idea that there is another possibility. I mean, after reading, like I say I read uh, Supernature by Noel Lyle Watson. I definitely recommend it. It's wonderful. But we may have untapped abilities that no one is aware of, and this avenue of, of where they're taking society seems to nullify those abilities and create their own versions of. And so they can own it. So let's say telepathy. Right. What we're doing right now, we're talking to each other over a distance, aren't we? Right? That's telepathy. Yeah. So, like, you know, imagine if you could just do that by thinking. This is what they want to do. They want to replace our natural abilities, our second sight. We have a second sight. I can feel, animals can feel when an earthquake's coming. Right. They They sense. They're built to sense it. It's part of their fight and flight mechanism and we have it too we have all these innate abilities that we're still not sure of telekinesis we don't know what we're we're capable of and what they're going to do is they're going to throw away all that possibility so they can replace it so like you know elon musk's brain chip is basically telepathy to a cloud if we we lived another thousand years without all that we might have it naturally right might just be like you know i I mean this You, you know, this is the, I, I kind of had a breakthrough with my Tai Chi practice a few years ago when I realized that like the, the philosophy behind Tai Chi or any of these internal medicine systems, the, the Hindu system, the yoga system is that you have this energy called Chi, you know, or Prana that you can cultivate. And then lo and behold, and people who cultivate these things have these abilities that you're talking about. Yeah. And, um, and it just sounds like crazy talk to the vast majority of people who've been raised inside this corporatist system, this colonial system. But then I have this phone, you know, right here that can operate on Wi-Fi. And it's like, well, do, can my body have Wi-Fi too? Like if the phone can do it, why wouldn't my body have it? And then lo and behold, that's like exactly what these guys have been talking about for thousands of years. Like, yeah, you have a Wi-Fi system inside and it's this, you know, the, the Wi-Fi energy, instead of being yeah. 5G, it's organic and they call it chi, you know? Chi. <laughs> <laughs> they call chi. it corona. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow, chi. Yeah, come on. Um, and I like it. It's exactly what you're talking. I mean, it's, you know, we've all heard the, many of us have heard the the whole problem reaction solution concept where these guys cause the problem and then we have the reaction and, and then yeah. they're able to kind of funnel us into their solution. And, and this is exactly it. They, they have oppressed and alienated our 
emotional energetic systems uh, so that we can't have access to these, you know, these potential abilities and at least our own authentic emotional perspectives, which they've caused through, you know, a trauma bonding, basically, you know, through that, the, the education systems and, and the operant behavioral conditioning and all of this stuff that we all go through growing up is basically a, 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 a trauma bond. Uh, and it, and it cuts us off from that organic part of ourselves. And then lo and behold, the solution is their mechanistic universe that they can exactly as you're saying have total control over it's it's crazy i mean where they're just going to plug us all into the borg oh yeah the matrix i mean the the, the announcement that the war on covid is a world war footing is one of the most insipid things since obviously uh george bush said you're either with us or you're a terrorist and it's world war right you know i mean this is divisive it's on a par with well it's they're obviously mentally ill uh, the people that they've got in as puppets. I mean, they just spoke to people, the people who really want the end game. Um, they do think it's a game. Um, I'm not sure whether they play, they're playing a finite game or an infinite game. Now, the infinite game is a game without horizons. You know, you've got a board and you've got so many moves you can make on a board because of rules. And to make the game infinite, you just open it up, but you've still got those rules. But it never ends. So the the idea of making another move enables a quantum of possibility into any move you can make. And with a finite game, it has a proper end point and someone wins and someone loses. Yeah. Now, for me, I think they're more uh, polemically going for a fine, an infinite game, but dressing it as a finite game by giving everyone a side. So we've got like left and right, we've got paradigms, and they've got a fine mass of the game. They're the rules. These are the rules they give you. You be a conservative, you be a Christian, you mm-hmm. dislabel yourselves. And they, we should be living in a world which wants to define itself. You call yourself what you want. Live how you want. Mind your own business. It's brilliant. Everybody's free. Fantastic. What is happening? The exact opposite. Label yourselves. Be proud that you put your label on you and wear your little yellow star. Call yourself trans. Call yourself whatever. But as long as we know what it's called and we're going to dictate. Yeah. Oh, I'm not against any sexuality. I'm not against anything. Do you know why? Because it's all brilliant. Right. <laughs> It's all brilliant, isn't it? We don't even know there might be sexualities out there we've never even heard of. Like, you know, <laughs> know. Hmm. some of them probably, I don't know, it might be, right, mate? You know? Right. <laughs> we can imagine. We can imagine. <laughs> I'm sure it's on Pornhub anyway, you know. If you are listening to this, you are listening to the first free hour of The Shift with Doug McKinty. For access to the full feature-length versions of the podcast, go to www.theshiftnow.com and subscribe for the audio version for just $6 a month. Access the full-length episodes in video form through rockfin.com by subscribing at the Shift with Doug McKinty landing page. For $9.99 a month, you gain access not only to the Shift, but also all other premium content material hosted on the platform. Find out more at www.theshiftnow.com backslash store. Detoxify your body, decolonize your mind, make the shift. Let's end on this concept about colonization because, you know, so many people have learned this history where, oh, you know, 100, 200 years ago, there was colonization and the European nations went around and colonized. And then, 
And then, uh, you know, thank God there were people like Gandhi who liberated India and, you know, people like Nelson Mandela who ended the colonization of Africa. Uh And now we all just live in this post-colonization world where, you know, every, every government is sort of autonomous and has its own integrity. And we work together through the beautiful and wonderful United Nations, you know, and nobody sees that, you know, First of all, these corporations, the transnational corporations, were always the colonizers 200, 300 years ago. And now they're still colonizing. And then, but we've even got more. We've got the central banks and we've got the IMF and the World Bank and all these, all the financial is all part of this colonizing system. And now we've got, I mean, we've got pharma colonization where they're going into Africa and India and experimenting on people and forcing them to take their drug. I mean, it's just, it's like, it's so amazing. I think to me, this whole patriarchal system of colonization, this whole cult that we're talking about, this whole like world government that is being imposed, I mean, through now the Great Reset and the Fourth Industrial Revolution, it's just the continuation of this process of colonization that never really stopped. And these wealthy people yeah. that are on the top of the hierarchy, these are just the families that have been, you know, making yeah. big, big bucks off the backs of colonization oh, for yeah. hundreds of years now. It's just the same old, same yeah. old. And in one sense, like, it's almost like I've actually had this experience where it's like, oh my God, oh my God, the great reset is coming. And then I'm like, I kind of take a step back and I go, well, actually this is just another tiny step in a long process that they've been going on for so long that we don't even realize, you know, that we've just been participating in this forever. They're just changing, they're changing the the bars on the windows and they're replacing the locks on the doors. That's all they're doing. And they're just on those, the the bars on the windows are all going to be shiny and lovely and beautiful. And the locks on the doors are going to be the metaverse. And it's going to be, you know, it's all just glass and it's the same prison. It's just a rebranding exercise, isn't it? You know, the fourth industrial revolution is a rebranding exercise uh, in a, with Star Trek <laughs> on top of it. Yeah, right. Sci-fi <laughs> utopian nonsense. It is absolutely, and it's and it's bad. It's, it's so badly done. It's like a B movie. It's just like, yeah. you know, normally you watch like, like somebody's put a lot of effort in, but the, the graphics aren't quite right. You know, right. <laughs> something to compare it to and and you go oh you know this is what's going on it's shoddy it's shoddy it's poorly done you know it's really badly thought through it's storable this reminds me of the dr frankenstein uh metaphor which i think is just so perfectly apt for this like they're here as we're they're trying to move us into this transhumanist utopia it's exactly like the crazy dr frankenstein thinking that he can recreate life And he's going to create this, you know, in his mind, while he's building the Frankenstein monster, he's going to build this superhuman, transhuman, wonderful utopian being that can transcend death and live forever and have super strength or whatever. But man, when when the monster comes out of the box, it just doesn't look quite right, does it? It just doesn't look quite right. That's, That's what happens when you sort of like, if you take some editing equipment and you put Metropolis with the island of Dr. Moreau and, Do- and Frankenstein, you, you edit it together really well and it looks exactly like that. Exactly now. like this. <laughs> right. Wow, great editing. You can't see the joins. Yeah. <laughs> it's well, horrible. You've got to laugh, haven't you? I know. Yeah, so sometimes I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I actually... want to end it. 
Yeah, I get. I was just gonna say I get criticized for laughing. People are like, "You're talking about such horrible things. Why are you laughing?" And I'm always like, "I God, what's the what's the other option, right? Like laughing is a best medicine, isn't yeah. it? I've got a joke. Then I've got a joke, and I'll finish on a joke. Sounds good. Now this is about a dear friend of ours. Uh, well, Alison McDowell, right? She, uh, I, I went on a site, and she's got this incredible map. It's the biggest map she's ever made. It's huge. It's got millions of people on it, and I had a look at it. And it's basically a map of everybody she's blocked in the last 24 hours. <laughs> right. <laughs> Do we have Sorry, Alison, it's only a joke, all right? <laughs> Don't get all prissy and, and get the ump. It's just a joke. Your work is brilliant. Carry on. I think it's Allison great. Alison does great work. Yeah, she does. She does indeed. All right. Well, thanks for coming on, Captain Wardrobe. Um, really appreciate you know, the work that you've done, well, the conversation, of course, is excellent, but uh, the work that you've Thank done you. over a long period of time uh, has has made a difference. Uh, I hope more people uh, check out your website, check out your personal work, and and really just to know that you've been out there working behind the scenes. I mean, you've, you've reached out to me, you've contacted a lot of other content creators, uh, and you're kind of, you're, you're kind of a uh, like is this behind the scenes operative that's there for a lot of I'm us the to, bass to talk player, to. Man. I just, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm the bass. I like playing the bass. I'm in the background. You know, that's that's oh, a perfect a perfect way to put it. And I and I appreciate it though. I appreciate it because the bass player is uh, you know one of the most important members of the band and one of the least appreciated. So <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate that. Thanks for having us on. And uh, you know, a message to everybody out there: don't give up. It's just say no. Uh, use the off button as much as you can. Dump the smartphone. Um, oh, technology isn't bad. I've got a laptop. I use it to make music. If you go on my site, you'll see all my my music's all free, and you can just listen to it, chill yeah. out. There's loads of lovely ambient stuff. I recommend that to just like take take a break. Uh, one of the biggest things is get with nature. Go for a walk. Uh, sneak out. And if you have to be an outlaw, it's not a crime to be an outlaw, especially if the laws are a crime. There you so, go. You want to give people Thanks the website? So give people the website again so they know where to go. Yeah, it's uh, declarepeace.org.uk forward slash captain. Okay. Yeah, man. You stick a link on the on thing if you can, mate. So I will. That'd be great. Thanks very much. I mean, Absolutely. I don't really, uh, I don't really go for. I don't get paid to do it. I don't do uh, any pay for, uh, any um, sort of platforms or. Uh, it's all free. I do it all uh, handwritten code. You probably see that it's yeah. a bit badly spelled in places. I do suffer a little bit from that. Uh, but I try and uh, put some stuff out there, and it's all there just to make you think. You know, It's not gospel, um, and I'm welcome for people to, to challenge anything that I do. Yeah. On their videos, if they want to reply or they want to talk about this, what we've done, it's absolutely great. And I'm also available to have a good chat with anybody who's out there and a, and a debate because I don't think there's enough debate on I don't think there's people arguing different points of view. Sure. It's good to be different and have arguments. Yeah. It's stagnant otherwise, and you just end up in an echo chamber. We can't have this echo chambering because that is the weaponization of, of uh, opposition. Yeah. So we need to start sort of thinking about actually being creative with the idea of debate and not be afraid to be wrong and not be afraid to be right. You know, there is no truth. It's just a constant road and it's horizontal and it goes forever. It doesn't end, you know, We've got to keep going, and uh, and we know what's wrong and what's right. We should have a, a decent moral compass, and uh, don't let the bastards grind you down. There you go. I hear you. <laughs> That's it. Stay with it.
All right. And I, and I do encourage people to check out the site. It does have a lot of information on it, but also again, the, the artistic part of it, the music and the poetry that I think, um, and that's what really makes you unique from a lot of people is that you're, you know, combining a lot of different mediums to get this message out and the message, what you just said, you know, have a, have a decent moral compass, have respect for other people's points of view and, you know, have a good time while you're walking your path into that horizon. So, (laughs) well, I mean, that's why I think we connected first. I mean, I've always enjoyed our conversations, but we sometimes different and we, and it's, it's, it's always amazing to talk with. You know, I mean, before this, it's just terrible. We had a four, well, it was four hours, wasn't it, last week? And I think so. Blew by, and it was wonderful. Yeah, and, uh, definitely. I mean, if you, I mean, if you want to, I'd love it to if you could make this kind of regular, because like, I don't have anybody to talk to here. It's done rubbish. <laughs> you know, I'll go mad if you don't talk to someone. Well, you can always, <laughs> always feel free to get in touch with me, and I'll let's just wrap it up. I got to let people know uh, that you've been listening to The Shift. I've been your host, Doug McKenty, and you can find my stuff at www.theshiftnow.com. If you sign up for the newsletter, I'll keep you updated with all the new content that I'm coming out with. You can find me, Doug McKenty, on Facebook. Uh, I know it's not the best place to go. I always say this, but uh, it, it is where I have the most the most following. So, uh, and at D McKenty on Twitter, uh, Rockfin Odyssey, uh, the YouTube I don't know if this one's going to go up on YouTube. I'm having to be selective about the ones that I post on YouTube, of course, because uh, they're quick to take them down. If I if I talk to somebody as open minded as Captain Wardrobe here, so <laughs> and uh, Ooh, who so, knows, Doug? I mean, you know, right? We'll see. It'd be interesting to see if it stays up, mate. <laughs> and uh, and so yeah, you can check out my stuff. Uh, uh, and all those different outlets and uh, the podcast, of course, is up on all pretty much all the your favorite podcast hosting sites. So thanks for you all for listening. And uh, thank you, El Capitan, for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Mucho gracias, mon amigo. <laughs> Take care, dude. All right, man. Adios. All right, speak soon. Okay. All right, everybody. That was my conversation with Captain Wardrobe. Been wanting to have him on the show for a while. We've actually been kind of speaking behind the scenes for uh, probably at least a year now. Uh, We touch base every six weeks or so uh, just to see how each other are doing. And we have conversations, uh, kind of big picture conversations about what's going on within the whole scene. And I've always appreciated his advice, so I was happy to finally get him on the show. Um, You know, one of the things about having these conversations with people that have been producing content like this for such a long time is that they have uh, a really big picture concept of what's going on in the world, what's been going on in the world, and all of the sort of shifts and the and the nooks and crannies within the whole scene uh, that have happened over a long period of time. A lot of times, uh, I find myself having conversations with him about the different personalities uh, that are that are in uh, this whole quote-unquote conspiracy theory movement, if you will. Uh, I, I want to replace that term entirely. I, and I like I actually prefer the term populist movement because I think that uh, what they call conspiracy theory now is the same as, as populist history or basically the lineage goes back to the populist movement of the 1870s, 1880s. Um, but I keep saying conspiracy theory because it's the only thing I think everybody will understand. <laughs> but I like having these conversations with Captain Wardrobe uh, about what's going on in the scene and the movement and the different personalities because uh, he's kind of one of those characters that's been in contact with these people, uh, many different personalities for a long, long time now. Uh, and even though his work may not be as popular as some, 
uh, he really has been in contact with with a lot of these uh, bigger names and talking to them behind the scenes, giving them advice, uh, just kind of clarifying concepts and messaging and things like that. So he's a pretty important personality, actually, that, that maybe many of you haven't been exposed to. So I urge you to go check out his work at the website. Um, the other thing is that I really like his approach in terms of the use of art, and not a lot of people really do this, um, in terms of really recognizing that I think that the shift that we want to make in the world is is an artistic and creative shift. We're trying to get away from the sophistry of patriarchy, right? Uh, and start to really recognize uh, that culture can be founded on art. I've spoken a little bit before about how I think patriarchal cultures are founded on war. That's what we see all the time, all over the place, right? Continuous states of war, essentially. Uh, and a big part of making the shift into a better reality is focusing on, on being creative. Uh, instead of having mythologies that are based on warfare and fighting, um, you know, the hero king notion, then we have more, more of the artist character, more of the trickster, uh, right? And uh, <laughs> I think maybe a trickster is a, is a great word to use to describe uh, the work of Captain Wardrobe. And if you check out his site, you'll find uh, decades of his poetry and music up there. Uh, and he really does a great job of blending uh, art with the more logical side uh, in terms of his reporting and his uh, blog writing that goes into more detail about, uh, you know, the various different topics of, of the corporate government collusion that occurs uh, throughout the world in terms especially of the social engineering that many of us are concerned about. Um, so, uh, again, urge you to check out his work. The other thing about it that I like having his conversation with is I'm always trying to create this big tent. You know, again, maybe the term populist is the word to use uh, for just anyone that believes in decentralizing power. And I'm always trying to get away from uh, the left-right paradigm. And I think uh, Captain Wardrobe actually comes from a more of a leftist perspective, whereas I started uh, on my journey from a, a libertarian point of view. And we all come with our own confirmation biases into this kind of research. So uh, when I can find somebody from that opposite perspective, uh, and we can really overcome those initial biases that we all have, and we can find this huge amount of, of common ground that I have done with him, uh, learning through listening to him, how to describe my own perspective in a way that he can appreciate and, and then he giving me his perspective in a way that I can appreciate. It helps us both, uh, I think, to, again, like create a, a messaging that uh, helps to build a, a pretty big tent in terms of just attracting as many people as possible uh, into a movement that seeks to decentralize corporate and government power and give that power back to local communities uh, and preserving individual autonomy and allowing for individual creative expression. Uh, and so he is um, definitely on the forefront of promoting all of those concepts. So I was really happy to finally get him back on the show, uh, especially after uh, having spoken to him so many times again behind the scenes. So I hope you guys appreciated our conversation. Uh, I'd like to have him back on sometime in the future and we'll keep this going. Uh, again, um, being able to have these conversations from these different perspectives, bringing in that artist aspect, uh, that personality, uh, and a little more humor and levity, as you saw at the beginning of our, of our interview, of course. <laughs> um, 
I think really helps to spread the message. And that and that's what we've been doing. We've been working on the messaging. Uh, and again, trying to create a big tent to raise awareness uh, about being careful, uh, about listening to the corporate government propaganda, which is the vast majority of the messaging that we hear, figuring out a messaging that appeals to uh, the mass of the population that just presents this notion that we need to see uh, these power structures for what they are, and we need to work towards a civilization that decentralizes power into local communities once again. So uh, thanks, thanks to Captain Wardrobe for coming on the show. Really love the conversation. And I'll let you all know that his website, once again, is www.declarepeace.org.uk forward slash captain. Uh, and if you check out that site, you'll see the first thing you'll see is flashing lights and uh, all kinds of of the different avenues where you can go and explore a, a, a really um, a huge volume of work that he's accumulated over the last 20 plus years. So I hope you appreciate it as much as I do. Uh, and if you're interested, uh, you can also find out more about The Shift at www.theshiftnow.com. Uh, you can sign up for the newsletter, subscribe for the full length versions of each episode and uh, find hundreds of hours of free content actually up there now. I've got, uh, I think, over 250 episodes of a variety of different programs. Uh, so www.theshiftnow, you, you can check it out. Uh, you can also find me on Rockfin, Odyssey, YouTube, where I'm not posting everything anymore, but most of my stuff is still up there. Uh, I'm on Facebook, Doug McKenty on Facebook, and at D McKenty on Twitter. So uh, you can get in touch with me at all of those variety of different places. All right, thanks everybody for checking this one out. Um, my next episode is going to be with Renette Senum. She is running for the governor of California on a more of a populist political ticket. So that'll be a really interesting conversation. We're going to talk about uh, creating this big tent, actually, and getting beyond the uh, left-right paradigm with uh, political messaging. That's the root of her campaign. So stay tuned for that one. That'll be coming out in about a week and a half. All right, everybody have a happy new year. Hope you had a happy holidays, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Take care. Mm -hmm.